dedication. It was to the soul of Cyrano that I intended to dedicate this poem. But since that soul has been reborn in you, Coquelin, it is to you that I dedicate it. Edmond Rostand Act One, A Performance at the Hotel de Bourgogne The Hall of the Hotel de Bourgogne in 1640 A sort of tennis court, arranged and decorated for theatrical productions. The hall is a long rectangle. We see it diagonally, in such a way that one side of it forms the back scene, which begins at the first entrance on the right, and runs up to the last entrance on the left, where it makes a right angle with the stage, which is seen obliquely. This stage is provided on either hand with benches placed along the wings. The curtain is formed by two lengths of tapestry, which can be drawn apart. Above a harlequin cloak, the royal arms. Broad steps lead from the stage down to the floor of the hall. On either side of these steps, a place for the musicians. A row of candles serves as footlights. Two tiers of galleries along the side of the hall, the upper one divided into boxes. There are no seats upon the floor, which is the actual stage of our theater. But toward the back of the hall, on the right, a few benches are arranged, and underneath a stairway on the extreme right, which leads up to the galleries, and of which only the lower portion is visible, there is a sort of sideboard, decorated with little tapers, vases of flowers, bottles and glasses, plates of cake, etc. Farther along, toward the center of our stage, is the entrance to the hall, a great double door which opens only slightly to admit the audience. On one of the panels of this door, as also in other places about the hall, and in particular just over the sideboard, are playbills in red, upon which we may read the title La Clorise. As the curtain rises, the hall is dimly lighted and still empty. The chandeliers are lowered to the floor, in the middle of the hall, ready for lighting. Sounds of voices outside the door. Then a cavalier enters abruptly. The porter follows him. Hello there, fifteen souls. The cavalier. I enter free. The porter. Why? The cavalier. Soldier of the household of the king. The porter turns to another cavalier, who has just entered. You? Second cavalier. I pay nothing. The porter. Why not? Second cavalier. Musketeer. First cavalier to the second. The play begins at two. Plenty of time. And here's the whole floor empty. Shall we try our exercise? They fence with the foils which they have brought. A lackey enters. Psst. Flanquin. Another already on stage. What champagne? First lackey, showing games which he takes out of his doublet. Cards, dice, come on, sits on the floor. Second lackey, same action. Come on, old cock. First lackey takes from his pocket a bit of candle, lights it, sets it on the floor. I have stolen a little of my master's fire. A guardsman to a flower girl who comes forward. How sweet of you to come before they light the hall, puts his arm around her. 
First cavalier receives a thrust of the foil, a hit, second lackey, a club, the guardsman pursuing the girl, a kiss, the flower girl pushing away from him, they'll see us. The guardsman draws her into a dark corner, no danger. A man sits on the floor together with several others who have brought packages of food. When we come early, we have time to eat. A citizen, escorting his son, a boy of sixteen. Sit here, my son. First lackey. Mark the ace. Another man draws a bottle from under his cloak and sits down with the others. Here's the spot for a jolly old sot to suck his burgundy. He drinks. Here, in the house of the Burgundians. The citizen to his son. Would you not think we were in some den of vice? Points with his cane at the drunkard. Drunkards! In stepping back, one of the cavaliers trips him up. Bullies! He falls between the lackeys. Gamblers! The guardsman, behind him as he rises, still struggling with his flower girl. One kiss! The citizen, good God, draws his son quickly away. Here, and to think, my son, that in this hall they play Rotru. The boy, yes, father, and Cornet. The pages dance in, holding hands and singing. The porter, you pages there, no nonsense. First page, with wounded dignity. Oh, monsieur, really, how could you? To the second, the moment the porter turns his back, psst, a bit of string. Second page shows fish line with hook. Yes, and a hook. First page, up in the gallery, and fish for wigs. A cut purse gathers around him several evil-looking young fellows. Now then, you pickaroons, perk up and hear me mutter. Here's your bout. Bustle around some cull and bite his bung. Second page calls to other pages already in the gallery. Hey, brought your pea-shooters? Third page from above. And our peas, too! Blows and showers them with peas. The boy. What is the play this afternoon? The citizen. Chloris. The boy. Who wrote that? The citizen. Balthazar Barrow. What a play! He takes the boy's arm and leads him upstage. The cut purse to his pupils. Lace now, on those long sleeves, you cut it off. Gesture with thumb and finger, as if using scissors. A spectator, to another, pointing upward toward the gallery. Ah, Lysid! Yes, the first night I sat there. The cut purse. Watches. Gesture, as of picking a pocket. The citizen, coming down with his son. Great actors we shall see today. The cut purse. Handkerchiefs. Gesture of holding the pocket with left hand and drawing out handkerchief with right. The citizen. Montfleury. A voice in the gallery. Lights! Light the lights! The citizen. Belle Rose, Lépi, Beaupré, Jolet. A page on the floor. Here comes the orange girl. The orange girl. Oranges, milk, raspberry syrup, lemonade. Noise at the door. 
a falsetto voice outside. Make way, brutes! First lackey. What? The Marquis? On the floor? The Marquis enters in a little group. Second lackey. Not long. Only a few moments. They'll go and sit on the stage presently. First Marquis, seeing the hall half empty. How now? We enter like tradespeople. No crowding, no disturbance, no treading on the toes of citizens. Oh, fie! Oh, fie! He encounters two gentlemen who have already arrived. Quiji, Brissai, great embracings. Quiji, the faithful, looks around him. We are here before the candles. First Marquis, ah, be still. You put me in a temper. Second Marquis, console yourself, Marquis, the lamplighter. The crowd applauds the appearance of the lamplighter. A group gathers around the chandelier while he lights it. A few people have already taken their place in the gallery. Lignier enters the hall, arm in arm with Christian de Nivillette. Lignier is a slightly disheveled figure, dissipated and yet distinguished-looking. Christian, elegantly but rather unfashionably dressed, appears preoccupied and keeps looking up at the boxes. Quigy. Lignier, Brissaille, laughing. Still sober, at this hour. Lignier, to Christian. May I present you? Christian assents. Baron Christian de Nivellet. They salute. The crowd applauds as the lighted chandelier is hoisted into place. Quigy, aside to Brissaille, looking at Christian. Rather a fine head, is it not? The profile. First Marquis, who has overheard. Pooh! Lignier, presenting them to Christian. Monsieur de Quigy de Brissaille. Christian bows, enchanted. First Marquis, to the second. He is not ill-looking, possibly a shade behind the fashion. Lignier, to Quigy. Monsieur is recently from the Touraine. Christian. Yes. I have been in Paris two or three weeks only. I join the guards tomorrow. First Marquis, watching the people who come into the boxes. Look, Madame la Présidente Aubry. The orange girl. Oranges, milk. Quigy, to Christian, calling his attention to the increasing crowd. We have an audience today. Christian, a brilliant one. First Marquis. Oh, yes. All our own people, the gay world. They name the ladies who enter the boxes elaborately dressed. Bows and smiles are exchanged. Second Marquis. Madame de Guémenet. Quigy. De Bois Dauphin. First Marquis. Whom we adore. Brissailles. Madame de Chavigny. Second Marquis. Who plays with all our hearts. Liniere. Why, there's Corneille, returned from Rouen. The boy, to his father. Are the Academy all here? The citizen. I see some of them. There's Boudou, Boissat, Curot, Porcher, Colomby, Bourzet, Bourdon, Arbeau. Ah, those great names, never to be forgotten. First Marquis. Look, at last, 
our intellectuals, Barthénoide, Eurymédante, Félix Herry, second marquis, languishing. Sweet heaven, how exquisite their surnames are. Marquis, you know them all? First marquis, I know them all, marquis. Liniere draws Christian aside. My dear boy, I came here to serve you. Well, but where's the lady? I'll be going. Christian, not yet, a little longer. She's always here. Please, I must find some way of meeting her. I am dying of love. And you, you know everyone, the whole court and the whole town, and put them all into your songs. At least you can tell me her name. The first violin raps on his desk with his bow. Psst, gentlemen, raises his bow. The orange girl. Macaroons, lemonade. Christian. Then she may be one of those esthetes, intellectuals you call them. How can I talk to a woman in that style? I have no wit. This fine manner of speaking and writing nowadays, not for me. I am a soldier and afraid. That's her box, on the right, the empty one. Liniere starts for the door. I'm going. Christian restrains him. No, wait. Liniere, not I. There's a tavern not far away, and I'm dying of thirst. The orange girl passes with her tray. Orange juice? Liniere, no. The orange girl. Milk? Liniere, pah. The orange girl. Muscatel? Liniere, here, stop. To Christian, I'll stay a little. To the girl. Let me see your muscatel. He sits down by the sideboard. The girl pours out wine for him. Voices in the crowd about the door, upon the entrance of a spruce little man, rather fat, with a beaming smile. Ragano, Liniere to Christian. Ragano, poet and pastry cook, a character. Ragano, dressed like a confectioner in his Sunday clothes, advances quickly to Liniere. Sir, have you seen Monsieur de Cyrano? Liniere presents him to Christian. Permit me, Ragano, confectioner, the chief support of modern poetry. Ragano, oh, too much honor. Liniere, patron of the arts, Messinas, yes, you are. Ragano, undoubtedly the poets gather round my hearth. Liniere, on credit, himself a poet. Ragano, so they say. Liniere, maintains the muses. Ragano, it is true that for an ode, Liniere, you give a tart. Ragano, a tartlet. Liniere, modesty. And for a triolet you give, Ragano, plain bread. Liniere, bread and milk. And you love the theater, Ragano, I adore it. Liniere, well, pastry pays for all. Your place today now. Come, between ourselves, what did it cost you? Ragano. Four pies, fourteen cakes, looking about. But Cyrano not here. Astonishing. Liniere. Why so? Ragano. Why, 
Montfleury plays. Liniere. Yes, I hear that Hippopotamus assumes the role of Fédon. What is that to Cyrano? Ragano. Have you not heard? Monsieur de Bergerac so hates Montfleury, he has forbidden him for three weeks to appear upon the stage. Liniere, who is by this time at his fourth glass. Well, Ragano. Montfleury plays. Quigy strolls over to them. Yes, what then? Ragano. Ah, that is what I came to see. First Marquis. This Cyrano, who is he? Quigy. Oh, he is the lad with the long sword. Second Marquis. Noble. Quigy. Sufficiently. He is in the guards. Points to a gentleman who comes and goes about the hall as though seeking for someone. His friend Lebray can tell you more. Lebray. Lebray comes down to them. Looking for Bergerac. Lebray. Yes, and for trouble. Quigy. Is he not an extraordinary man? Lebray. The best friend and the bravest soul alive. Ragano. Poet. Quigy. Swordsman. Lebray. Musician. Brissaille. Philosopher. Liniere. Such a remarkable appearance, too. Ragano. Truly, I should not look to find his portrait by the grave hand of Philippe de Champagne. He might have been a model for Callot, one of those wild swashbucklers in a mask, hat with three plumes, and doublet with six points, his cloak behind him over his long sword cocked like the tail of strutting Chanticleer, prouder than all the swaggering tamberlanes hatched out of Gascony, and to complete this Punchinello figure, such a nose! My lords, there is no such nose as that nose. You cannot look upon it without crying, Oh no! Impossible! Exaggerated! Then you smile and say, Of course, I might have known. Presently he will take it off. But that Monsieur de Bergerac will never do. Liniere, grimly, he keeps it, and God help the man who smiles. Ragano, his sword is one half of the shears of fate. First Marquis shrugs. He will not come. Ragano, will he not? Sir, I'll lay you a pullet a la Ragano. First Marquis, done. Murmurs of admiration. Roxanne has just appeared in her box. She sits at the front of the box, and her duenna takes a seat toward the rear. Christiane, busy paying the orange girl, does not see her at first. Second Marquis. Ah, oh, oh, sweet sirs, look yonder. Is she not frightfully ravishing? First Marquis. Bloom of the peach, blush of the strawberry. Second Marquis. So fresh so cool that our hearts grown all warm with loving her may catch their death of cold. Christiane looks up, sees Roxanne, and seizes Liniere by the arm. There, quick, up there, in the box, look! Liniere, coolly, 
herself, Christiane, quickly, her name, Liniere, sipping his wine and speaking between sips, Madeleine Robin, called Roxanne, refined, intellectual, Christiane, ah, Liniere, unmarried, Christiane, oh, Liniere, no title, rich enough, an orphan, cousin to Cyrano, of whom we spoke just now. At this point, a very distinguished-looking gentleman, the cordon bleu around his neck, enters the box and stands a moment talking with Roxanne. Christian starts. And the man? Liniere, beginning to feel his wine a little, cocks his eye at them. Oh ho, that man? Comte de Guiche, in love with her. Married himself, however, to the niece of the Cardinal Richelieu. Wishes Roxanne, therefore, to marry one Monsieur de Valvere, Vicomte, friend of his, a somewhat melancholy gentleman, but, well, accommodating. She says no. Nevertheless, de Guiche is powerful, not above persecuting. He rises, swaying a little, and very happy. I have written a little song about his little game. Good little song, too. Here, I'll sing it for you. Make de Guiche furious. Naughty little song. Not so bad, either. Listen. He stands with his glass held aloft, ready to sing. Christian. No. Adieu. Liniere. Whither away? Christian. To Monsieur de Valvere. Liniere. Careful. The man's a swordsman. Nods towards Roxanne, who is watching Christian. Wait. Someone looking at you. Christian. Roxanne? He forgets everything, and stands spellbound, gazing toward Roxanne. The cutpurse and his crew, observing him transfixed, his eyes raised, and his mouth half open, begin edging in his direction. Oh, very well, then I'll be leaving you. Good day. Good day. Christian remains motionless. Everywhere else they like to hear me sing. Also, I'm thirsty. He goes out, navigating carefully. Lebray, having made the circuit of the hall, returns to Ragano, somewhat reassured. Lebray, no sign anywhere of Cyrano. Ragano, wait and see. Lebray, hm. I hope he has not seen the bill. The crowd call for the play. First Marquis, observing de Guiche as he descends from Roxanne's box and crosses the floor, followed by a knot of obsequious gentlemen, the Vicomte de Valvere among them. This man de Guiche! What ostentation! Second Marquis. Bah! Another Gascon! First Marquis. Gascon, yes, but cold and calculating. Certain to succeed, my word for it. Come, shall we make our bow? We shall be none the worse, I promise you. They go toward de Guiche. Second Marquis. Beautiful ribbons, Count. That color now. What is it? Kiss me, dear, or startled fawn? De Guiche. I call that shade the dying Spaniard. First Marquis. Ha! 
and no false colors either, thanks to you and your brave troops. In Flanders before long, the Spaniard will die daily. De Guiche, shall we go and sit upon the stage? Come, Valvere. Christian starts at the name. Valvere, the vicomte. Ah, that scoundrel. Quick, my glove. I'll throw it in his face. Reaching into his pocket for his glove, he catches the hand of the cut-purse. The cut-purse. Oh! Christian, holding fast to the man's wrist. Who are you? I was looking for a glove. The cut-purse, cringing. You found a hand. Let me go. I can tell you something. Christian. Well? The cut-purse. Liniere, that friend of yours? Christian. Well? The cut-purse. Good as dead. Understand? Ambuscaded. Wrote a song about, no matter, there's a hundred men waiting for him tonight. I'm one of them. Christian. A hundred? Who arranged this? The cut-purse. Secret. Christian. Oh. The cut-purse. Professional secret. Christian. Where are they to be? The cut-purse. Portinelle, on his way home. Tell him so. Save his life. Christian releases him. Yes, but where am I to find him? The cut-purse. Go round the taverns. There's the golden grape, the pineapple, the bursting belt, the two torches, the three funnels. In every one you leave a line of writing. Understand? To warn him. Christian starts for the door. I'll go. God, what swine! A hundred against one man! He stops and looks longingly at Roxanne. Leave her here, savagely, turning toward Valver, and leave him, decidedly. I must save Liniere. He exits. De Guiche, Valver, and all the Marquis have disappeared through the curtains to take their seats upon the stage. The floor is entirely filled. Not a vacant seat remains in the gallery or in the boxes. The crowd calls for the play. A citizen, as his wig is hoisted into the air on the end of a fish line in the hands of a page in the gallery, "'My wig!' cries of joy. "'He's bald! Bravo, you pages!' They all laugh. The citizen, furious, shakes his fist at the boy. "'Here, you young villain!' Cries of laughter begin very loud, then suddenly are repressed, and it's complete silence. Lebray, that sudden hush, a spectator whispers in his ear. Yes, the spectator. I was told on good authority. There are murmurs here and there, and then the cardinal, the cardinal, a page. The devil, now we shall all have to behave ourselves. Three raps on the stage. The audience become motionless. Silence. The voice of a marquis from the stage behind the curtains. Snuff that candle. Another marquis puts his head through the curtains. A chair. A chair is passed from hand to hand over the heads of the crowd. He takes it and disappears behind the curtains, not without having blown a few kisses to the occupants of the boxes. A spectator. Silence. Voices. Shh. Shh. Lebray. Montfleury enters now. Ragano. 
opens the play, Lebray, much relieved. Then Cyrano is not here, Ragano. I lose, Lebray. Hmm, so much the better. The melody of a musette is heard. Montfleury appears upon the stage, a ponderous figure in the costume of a rustic shepherd, a hat garlanded with roses tilted over one ear, playing upon a beribboned pastoral pipe. The crowd applauds. Montfleury, bravo! Montfleury, after bowing to the audience, begins the role of Fédon. Thrice happy he who hides from pomp and power in sylvan shade or solitary bower where balmy zephyrs fan his burning cheeks. A voice from the midst of the hall. Wretch! Have I not forbade you these three weeks? Sensation. Everyone turns to look. Murmurs. What? Where? Who is it? Quigy. Cyrano. Lebray. Himself. The voice. King of clowns. Leave the stage at once. The crowd cries out. Montfleury. Now, now, now. The voice. You disobey me. Voices from the floor, from the boxes. Shh, go on, quiet. Go on, Montfleury. Who's afraid? Montfleury, in a voice of no great assurance. Thrice happy he who hides from... The voice, more menacingly. Well, well, well. Monarch of mountebanks. Must I come and plant a forest on your shoulders? A cane at the end of a long arm shakes above the heads of the crowd. Montfleury, in a voice increasingly feeble. Thrice hab— The cane is violently agitated. The voice. Go! The crowd. Ah! Cyrano arises in the center of the floor, erect upon a chair, his arms folded, his hat cocked ferociously, his mustache bristling, his nose terrible. Presently, I shall grow angry. Sensation at his appearance. Montfleury to the Marquise. Messieurs, if you protect me, a Marquis. Well, proceed. Cyrano. Fat swine, if you dare breathe one balmy zephyr more, I'll fan your cheeks for you. The Marquis. Quiet down there. Cyrano. Unless these gentlemen retain their seats, my cane may bite their ribbons. All the Marquis on their feet. That will do. Montfleury. Cyrano. Fly, goose. Shoo. Take to your wings before I pluck your plumes and draw your gorge. A voice. See here. Cyrano. Off stage. Another voice. One moment. Cyrano. What? Still there. Turns back his cuffs deliberately. Very good. Then I enter, left, with knife, to carve this large Italian sausage. Montfleury, desperately attempting dignity. Sir, when you insult me, you insult the muse. Cyrano, with great politeness. Sir, if the muse, who never knew your name, 
had the honor to meet you, then be sure that after one glance at that face of yours, that figure of a mortuary urn, she would apply her buskin toward the rear. The crowd. Montfleury! Montfleury! The play! The play! Cyrano, to those who are shouting and crowding about him, pray you, be gentle with my scabbard here. She'll put her tongue out at you presently. The circle enlarges. The crowd, recoiling. Keep back! Cyrano, to Montfleury. Be gone! The crowd pushes in closer, growling. Cyrano turns upon them. Did someone speak? They recoil again. A voice in the back of the hall sings, Monsieur de Cyrano must be another Caesar. Let Brutus lay him low, and play us la Clorisa. All the crowd sing along. Cyrano, let me hear one more word of that same song, and I destroy you all. A citizen. Who might you be? Samson. Cyrano, precisely. Would you kindly lend me your jawbone? A lady in one of the boxes. What an outrage! A noble. Scandalous. A citizen. Annoying. A page. What a game! The crowd, delirious, making animal noises. Cyrano, silence! I, I say be silent! His voice dominates the uproar. Momentary hush. And I offer one universal challenge to you all. Approach, young heroes. I will take your names. Each in his turn. No crowding. One, two, three. Come, get your numbers. Who will head the list? You, sir? No? You? Ah, no. To the first man who falls, I'll build a monument. Not one? Will all who wish to die please raise their hands? I see. You are so modest you might blush before a sword naked. Sweet innocence. Not one name. Not one finger. Very well. Then I go on. Turning back toward the stage, where Montfleury waits in despair. I'd have our theater cured of this carbuncle. Or if not, why then his hand on his sword-hilt, the lancet. Montfleury, I... Cyrano descends from his chair, seats himself comfortably in the center of the circle which has formed around him, and makes himself quite at home. Attend to me, full moon. I clap my hands three times thus. At the third, you will eclipse yourself. The crowd is amused. Cyrano. Ready? One. Montfleury. I... A voice from the boxes. No! The crowd. He'll go. He'll stay. Montfleury. I really think, gentlemen. Cyrano. Two. Montfleury. Perhaps I had better... Cyrano. Three. Montfleury disappears as if through a trapdoor. Tempest of laughter, hoots, and hisses. The crowd, coward, come back. Cyrano, beaming, drops back in his chair and crosses his legs. Let him, if he dare. A citizen. 
the manager. Speech. Speech. Belrose advances and bows. The boxes. Ah, Belrose. Belrose, with elegance. Most noble. Most fair. The crowd. No, the comedian, Jodelet. Jodelet advances and speaks through his nose. Lewd fellows of the baser sort. The crowd. Ha ha, not bad. Bravo. Jodelet. No bravos here. Our heavy tragedian with the voluptuous bust was taken suddenly. The crowd. Yeah, coward. Jodelet. I mean, he had to be excused. The crowd. Call him back. No, yes. The boy to Cyrano. After all, monsieur, what reason have you to hate this Montfleury? Cyrano, graciously, still seated. My dear young man, I have two reasons, either one alone conclusive. Primo, a lamentable actor who mouths his verse and moans his tragedy and heaves up, ugh, like a hod-carrier, lines that ought to soar on their own wings. Segundo, well, that's my secret. The old citizen behind him. But you close the play, La Clorise, by Barreau. Are we to miss our entertainment merely? Cyrano, respectfully, turns his chair toward the old man. My dear old boy, the poetry of Barrow being worth zero or less, I feel that I have done poetic justice. The intellectuals in the boxes. Really? Our Barrow? My dear, whoever? Adieu, the idea. Cyrano, gallantly, turns his chair toward the boxes. Fair ladies, Shine upon us like the sun, blossom like flowers around us, be our songs heard in a dream. Make sweet the hour of death, smiling upon us as you close our eyes, inspired, but do not try to criticize. Belrose, quite so, and the mere money, possibly you would like that returned, yes? Cyrano, Belrose, you speak the first word of intelligence. I will not wound the mantle of the muse. Here, catch. Throws him a purse. And hold your tongue. The crowd is astonished. Jodelet deftly catches the purse, weighs it in his hand. Monsieur, you are hereby authorized to close our play every night, on the same terms. The crowd. Boo! Jodelet. And welcome. Let us be booed together, you and I. Belrose. Kindly pass out quietly. Jodelet, burlesquing Belrose. Quietly. They begin to go out, while Cyrano looks about him with satisfaction. But the exodus ceases presently, during the ensuing scene. The ladies in the boxes, who have already risen and put on their wraps, stop to listen, and finally sit down again. Lebray to Cyrano. Idiot! A meddler hurries up to Cyrano. But what a scandal! Montfleury, the great Montfleury! Did you know the Duc de Candal was his patron? Who's yours? Cyrano. No one. The meddler. No one? No patron? 
Cyrano. I said no. The meddler. What, no great lord to cover with his name? Cyrano, with visible annoyance. No, I have told you twice. Must I repeat? No, sir, no patron. His hand on his sword. But a patroness. The meddler. And when do you leave Paris? Cyrano. That's as may be. The meddler. The Duc de Candal has a long arm. Cyrano. Mine is longer. Drawing his sword. By three feet of steel. The meddler. Yes, yes, but do you dream of daring? Cyrano. I do dream of daring. The meddler. But, Cyrano, you may go now. The meddler. But, Cyrano, you may go. Or tell me why you are staring at my nose. The meddler, in confusion. N no, I... Cyrano, stepping up to him. Does it astonish you? The meddler, drawing back. Your grace misunderstands my... Cyrano. Is it long and soft and dangling like a trunk? The meddler. I never said, Cyrano, or crooked like an owl's beak. The meddler. I, Cyrano, perhaps a pimple ornaments the end of it. The meddler. No, Cyrano, or a fly parading up and down. What is this portent? The meddler. Oh, Cyrano. This phenomenon. The meddler. But I have been careful not to look. Cyrano. And why not, if you please? The meddler. Why, Cyrano. It disgusts you, then. The meddler. My dear sir. Cyrano. Does its color appear to you unwholesome? The meddler. Oh, by no means. Cyrano. Or its form, obscene? The meddler. Not in the least. Cyrano. Then why assume this deprecating manner? Perhaps you find it just a trifle large. The meddler. Oh, no. Small. Very small. Infinitesimal. Cyrano. What? How? You accuse me of absurdity? Small, my nose, why, the meddler, my God, Cyrano, magnificent, my nose, you pug, you knob, you buttonhead, know that I glory in this nose of mine, for a great nose indicates a great man, genial, courteous, intellectual, virile, courageous, as I am, and such as you, poor wretch, will never dare to be even in imagination. For that face, that blank, inglorious concavity, which my right hand finds, he strikes him. The meddler. Ow! Cyrano, on top of you, is as devoid of pride, of poetry, of soul, of picturesqueness, of contour, of character— of nose, in short, as that, he takes him by the shoulders and turns him around, suiting the action to the word, 
which at the end of that limp spine of yours my left foot. The meddler, escaping. Help! The guard! Cyrano. Take notice, all who find this feature of my countenance a theme for comedy. When the humorist is noble, then my custom is to show appreciation proper to his rank, more heartfelt and more pointed. De Guiche, who has come down from the stage, surrounded by the Marquise. Presently, this fellow will grow tiresome. Valver. Oh, he blows his trumpet. De Guiche. Well, will no one interfere? Valver. No one. Looks round. Observe. I myself will proceed to put him in his place. He walks up to Cyrano, who has been watching him, and stands there, looking him over with an affected air. Ah, your nose. <clears throat> your nose is rather large. Cyrano. Rather. Valver. Oh, well, Cyrano. Is that all? Valver, turning away with a shrug. Well, of course. Cyrano. Ah, uh, no, young sir. You are too simple. Why, you might have said, oh, a great many things. Mon Dieu, why waste your opportunity? For example, thus. Aggressive. Aye, sir, if that nose were mine, I'd have it amputated. On the spot. Friendly. How do you drink with such a nose? You ought to have a cup made specially. Descriptive. Tis a rock, a crag, a cape. A cape? Say rather, a peninsula. Inquisitive. What is that receptacle? A razor case or a portfolio? Kindly. Ah, do you love the little birds so much that when they come to sing to you, you give them this to perch on? Insolent. Sir, when you smoke, the neighbors must suppose your chimney is on fire. Cautious. Take care. A weight like that might make you top-heavy. Thoughtful. Somebody fetch my parasol. Those delicate colors fade so in the sun. Pedantic. Does not Aristophanes mention a mythologic monster called Hippocamp Elephantocamelus? Surely we have here the original. Familiar. Well, old torchlight, hang your hat over that chandelier. It hurts my eyes. Eloquent. When it blows, the typhoon howls and the clouds darken. Dramatic. When it bleeds, the Red Sea. Enterprising. What a sign for some perfumer. Lyric. Hark! The horn of Roland calls to summon Charlemagne. Simple. When do they unveil the monument? Respectful. Sir, I recognize in you a man of parts, a man of prominence. Rustic. Hey, what? Call that a nose? Nah, nah, I be no fool like what you think I be. That there's a blue cucumber. Military. Point against cavalry. Practical. Why not a lottery with this for the grand prize? Or, parodying Faustus in the play, 
Was this the nose that launched a thousand ships and burned the topless towers of Ilium? These, my dear sir, are things you might have said had you some tinge of letters or of wit to color your discourse. But wit, not so. You never had an atom. And of letters, you need but three to write you down. An A-S-S. Moreover, if you had the invention, here before these folk to make a jest of me, be sure you would not then articulate the twentieth part of half a syllable of the beginning. For I say these things lightly enough myself, about myself, but I allow none else to utter them.